You are listening to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss our RC adventures. Welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of the new RC Flyer. Join your hosts, Michael and Jay, as they take flight at the park. Now on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast. I'm Michael from Arizona. With me always from my good friend, Jay from the hills of Texas. And we're missing our AK Mike again. Yeah. Uh, crickets. He's a busy beaver. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's busy, I guess. Well, you know, it's summertime and, you know. I know he's busy out doing stuff, and uh, he's got a lot of a lot of things going. And he's kind of changing jobs too, I think. So, oh yeah, first of the month. Maybe we're, maybe we're not supposed to say that, but nobody on the podcast is going to tell, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just goes out on the web. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know if that's public knowledge or not, so keep that to yourself. That's right. You didn't hear it here. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, how about a word from our sponsors? Three D Aerovictures, adding fun to the RC hobby, one layer at a time. Feeling weak and powerless? Sounds to me like you need A Power batteries. When someone needs the best, they always choose the AT. A Power batteries. Get on the web and get yours today. And we're back to the Park Flyer Podcast. Welcome to all of our listeners. Today is a good day. Uh, Jay and I have been kind of bantering back and forth off air. And now that we're on air, uh, before we get into our topic, what? (laughs) I said, we'll keep it clean. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, If you are listening on the Park Flyer Podcast, uh, make sure you jump over to our YouTube channel at the Park Flyer Podcast YouTube and uh, click on the like and subscribe button. We are uh, trying a new software from Riverside FM. Uh, we uh, think it's a little bit better, and we can have more guests on, so that's kind of cool. We can. Uh, before, we were limited to the amount of guests that we could have on our podcast, but now we're kind of open, and we can have as you know more than we have in the past, so that's good news. So today's topic is uh, pretty much uh, a hot one, especially for the two of us. Uh, it is the FAA AC Circular 9157C. That is a mouthful. And it is a mouthful. It is a draft currently, but as with most drafts, when they put them together, they uh, basically have uh, this thing come out. Uh, the FAA produces it, and uh, they give a comment period where you can comment uh, you know, to your you can write in and say this is what I'd like or what I don't like or this is my complaints. And uh, they have to read them all. According to the uh, Congress, they say that if you put one out, then it's a notice of proposed rulemaking. And then with the comment period going, they can uh, they have to read all those. I think with the first one that they did, they had 57 or 60,000 comments, you know, give or take. Uh, they had to read all those. That's right. And there and were a few things. Yeah, there were a few things that uh, basically got looked at and slightly changed. But for the majority of it, um, you know, it kind of stood around. But the biggest thing that got changed was that everybody was complaining that uh, these guys were talking about getting remote ID. 
and remote ID doesn't exist anymore. So they came back and said something like, oh, yeah, we'll just uh, do away with that until we do get it, and then we'll just add it back in. Uh, if you have not, uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, to Bruce Simpson. He's the ex-jet on his YouTube channel. Uh, he, um, you know, kind of did uh, a little bit of a, a video on this, and uh, and I've seen it. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, we'll give him, a, you know, a shout-out. And, and I'm not taking anything away from him because all this information is, you know, public, but he had a lot of good comments. And some of the comments were funny because are not funny, but they were in line with what I already said. And uh, I thought it was really good that he kind of picked some of those up. So uh, I'm glad to see that he and I are both on the same page. Uh, and uh, kudos to him for actually, you know, looking through it. Now, having a background like I do in the professional world, I'm very familiar uh, with AC circulars. And AC circulars normally, let me tell you this, normally an AC circular comes out for a real aircraft because of something that happens. Let's right, just say. Right. Usually it's an accident or so, or like uh, uh, something uh, something fails on a, a series of an aircraft, right? Correct. Uh, a door, a bolt. Um, now, that's different. That's an, air, that's an airworthiness directive. Oh, well, true. That's true. Uh, so, so the AD is if something fails and they find out that it's a common problem, right? right? Like the landing gear doesn't come down on three different airplanes. Okay, well, that's something problem. Or there's a bolt that shears off. Every time, you know, they've done studies, it looks like, oh, okay, well, this bolt comes off at the right, you know, on every single Lycoming engine out there has a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just blanket it and say, okay, if you have a Lycoming engine between X, Y, and Z, then, you know, you have to do this for airworthiness. Worthiness, right. AC circulars are very similar, but they're usually attached to something that, Maybe not be an accident, but it may be something that's common amongst all, uh, you know, aviators. For instance, there's an AC circular out there for stall spin awareness, right? We have had accidents for stall spin. It is a training thing. People can go out there and they say, okay, well, I can read all this about stall spin. Uh, They've got an AC circular out on endorsements. They've got an AC circular out on crosswind landings, you know, Mm -hmm. on tailwheel stuff. So it's basically stuff that they they put out and they say, okay, well, this is the, you know, what we found. This is what we suggest. And this is how, you know, this AC circular, now that it's been put out, they are suggesting that you do it this way. And, you know, if you don't do it that way, then they can consider that as – yeah, you know, you're not really following their direction. Now, some of these things you really can't get in trouble for, right? I mean, the stall spin accident, uh, you can read all about it. And if you stalled and spun and hit the ground, they're just going to say, hey, you know, you should have read this. <laughs> you should have read this, right? right? Right. I mean, you know, they can't really come after you. Unfortunately, you no, probably no, no, no. You know, ended it all. But at the same time, if you did have a problem, now they can look at it and say, okay, well, what is it that you didn't understand about this AC circular? However, I normally am always on the safety side, and I kind of side with, you know, a lot of the stuff because of my uh, position of having, you know, an airline job and this hobby, trying to make them work. But on this particular one, I'm sticking my neck out there and saying that this is this one here I'm not so fond of. I mean, the other well, one I'm really fond of, and I commented on, but this one here, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, I, I think because when they put the circulars out, generally speaking, it's a good thing. It's for a, like you said, it could be for safety, it could be for awareness, 
and they're mm-hmm. putting this 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 information out for people to read and understand, right? Mm-hmm. Or this, they've kind of taken it and they're using it for I'm not going to say totally nefarious things, but they're kind of warping it to use for their benefit or how they want to circumvent something or, mm-hmm. you know, get around something. It just, that's what it seems to me, you know? Yeah. I, I see what you're kind of saying. Um, I, I, I think circumventing is probably the wrong term, you know? I mean, that's, I, I, th- I think setting themselves up for future additions to these rules is probably a way, a better way to put it, right? A more PC way. If I'm circumventing something, it sounds like I'm going around the law. Well, this is, you know, they're setting this up to be the law or at least to be this community's, you know, direction. So they're not really kind of going around that. They're basically just punching you right in the face with it. <laughs> you know, they're saying, hey, look, this is what we're going to agree to, Right. And and this is the weird part because when they make definitions, they they are very specific about who they're talking to. And and in, in the AC circular, they talk about the audience. And a lot of this stuff is written by lawyers, and a lot of it is written in such a way that if you read it correctly, it it's got multiple meetings meanings right. So they can <laughs> they can come at you from multiple angles. The audience for the, that this AC provides information to is a person or persons <clears throat> flying UAs without specific certification or operating authority from the Federal Aviation Administration. That in itself is basically saying that this this is for everybody that's that doesn't have authorization, which implies that everybody has should have authorization. Which is true from the last one, right? But I don't understand why they're saying that this one is specific to those that don't have it, <laughs> right? So what they're doing is that they're trying to break this down into professional, right? So the professional UAV flyer, someone that's that's got a UAS license that's doing it for compensation, they already have authorization from right. the FAA. They've done everything. This is to everyone else. Everybody else. Right. Right? Because yeah. you didn't yeah. you didn't do this specific, uh, you know, <clears throat> get your UAS license or whatever. So this is all this other stuff. Now, it, here's where the the problem that we run into, okay, because they're saying that this is for persons uh that now this addresses people who have educational purposes. So this the the now if you're flying the FAA has given authority to people for educational. So all the, you know, basically ROTC or the engineering yeah, department right. or, you know, something like that. <clears throat> or or someone that is requesting and has recognition by the FAA for a community-based organization or CBO, which in our case is the AMA, right, because they're a CBO. Now, it could be, uh, you know, I fly sometimes on Tuesdays with the guys out there. We're not really a community-based organization. We're just uh, persons seeking the establishment of a fixed recreational flying site, and that, that fixed site is by the city, right? So now it's this, this applies to the city. And then anyone organizing UA-only sanctioned events, 
which they use the term air show. I don't know if I've been to too many air show, uh, you know, air shows for specifically, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles. (laughs) But I have seen them at air shows, but I didn't know that, you know, if you're going to get together uh, and put something together to do demonstrations or whatever, they can pretty much say that you're technically needing a waiver for or some sort well, of well we, we used to do them up in alaska a lot mm-hmm. during our summers we would we would have we would put on an air show we'd put an ad in the paper let people know they can come out join the club see what it's all about um we'd put on demonstrations let people fly you know at the field all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so now right according to their definition you know so that we have to get special permission to do that, or, or what's the deal with that? Well, I, I don't know. The, there, it's for pers- this AC is set aside for persons that are organizing a UA only sanctioned event. So if it is a sanctioned event, right? Yeah. And yeah, it it's outside of the community based organization, then this, these rules would apply to them. Now, the crazy part is that we had under AC 9157B. Because uh, this is a 9157C. 9157B, the exception for a limited recreational operation of unmanned aircraft dated May 31st, 2019, is now canceled. So the one that they had before that specified that we could go out and fly and do all this other stuff and had to register airplanes, that's been canceled. And this now takes precedent over that AC. So basically, in my world, I had a book of AC circulars, and when they canceled one, it got thrown away. The new one got put in in its place. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, are in this AC circular because they can be, you know, for lack of a better term, really nebulous <laughs> in my eyes. Uh so they're basically saying, you know, once again, that we have to register our airplanes, mm-hmm. that we have to pay the $5. But this is one uh, in part 1.72. Actually, it's 1.73. They specifically say the operation of a UAS can endanger other aircraft, people, or property when the flight conducted is in a careless or reckless manner or in a manner that creates undue hazard to persons or property. Okay. So in our particular case, uh, if you've been listening for a while, you understand that we, uh, at my particular, you know, organized field, we had an incident and that incident was for a new, you know, guy. He went out, crashed an airplane, caused a big fire, burned thousands of acres, right? Now, the problem with that is, is that, in the FAA's eyes, he was now operating in a careless and reckless manner. Okay. So, so now what it, what this allows the FAA to do is is be this big nebulous, right? And and I'm going to go back to <clears throat> what happened to um, uh, the air show. Um, what's his name? Uh, Bob Hoover. Bob Hoover was in an air show. He's doing aerobatics in an aero commander that's specifically built to do aerobatics in an aero command, you know, in his aero commander. Right. Two FAA examiners decided he was careless and reckless. Went back and took his license. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so without any input from him, 
or the organizing event. Because the organizational event at Oshkosh, or which is going on, you know, now, those guys had waivers for airspace. They had, you know, all the proper stuff from right. the FAA. They dotted their eyes across the teeth. Yeah. Right. Two examiners decided that he was unsafe, and they went out and basically got, you know, paperwork to, to revoke his license for unsafe operation of an aircraft. Now, if they're specifically saying that, in the seven dots or one dot seven dot three, that the operation of UAS can endanger. They're already already telling us that by flying a UA airplane, some remote control airplane, we are automatically da- endangering everyone if we don't do it in a manner that they're recommending. So right. basically, if I walked outside and I fly in front of my house, I'm endangering people, and you know property and once again they're not given a definition right so it does they're not saying the aircraft they're saying that the actual act of flying yeah but i'm just saying it could be it could be a glider right yep yep it doesn't have to be a you know a turbine jet you know it, it could be it could be a you know i'm just i know it sounds like ridiculous but i mean anything from a paper airplane to you know uh, uh i'm assuming one of those uh foam gliders you get at Walmart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. chuck around. You have your kid chuck around in the street and yep. it bunks off of a car, theoretically, because there's That's true. They don't give a definition. If I, if I understand it correctly. Well, they don't give an, they don't give a definition of anything other than the UA, basically unmanned vehicle. Yeah. And unmanned vehicle, they do give a de- definition of that. And that's anything that can't be controlled from the inside. That's their definition. So, so anything that any so anything that you're controlling via line of sight or from a remote control, that's considered a UA, and that's what they're saying. By operating that, you are now careless and reckless if you don't follow these particular rules set up set out in this AC circular. Now, what that does is the very next paragraph seven dot or one dot seven dot four says the administrator may pursue enforcement action against a person operating a UAS under the exception, which is this exception. So they're, they're granting us an exception to, uh, you know, fly these things as, you know, as hobbyists because they didn't give us proper terms. And then now they've actually said we, uh, as the administrator, can pursue enforcement action against the person operating the UAS under this exception who endangers the safety of the national airspace system i.e., right, careless or reckless operation, operations endangering persons or property or operations that interfere or fail to give the right-of-way to any manned aircraft, airborne vehicle, or launch and reentry vehicle. So where this kind of becomes this nebulous is that they're saying that if I, right, as the administrator, look at you who are on private land doing your own thing, flying in your front yard, if I deem you to be careless and reckless, I can now... Uh, basically pursue enforcement action against you. Yep. Now, here's the stupid thing. Is that enforcement action a $5 fine? Or is it $10,000 and a lifetime in jail? What has it ever been a $5 fine? I'm, I'm asking. Uh, yeah, no. I'm being facetious. But, yeah, me too. You, you know, we're not really looking at, right, we're not looking at this as a, okay, well, 
if you're being careless and not, you know, I, I guarantee in the penal code is if it says you're careless and not, you know, reckless, then that's a it's a set fine for the city. They can say you were careless and reckless, and it's three hundred fifty dollars plus court costs or whatever. Sure, sure. The FAA is not the FAA is not specifying this. Nowhere in this document did I see any type of fines, which means they can set those fines based on whatever amount they're allowed to do. Now, I don't know what that amount is, um, but, you know, it's that's the crazy part about it. You're giving them the opportunity to kind of do all of that. All right. Now, this thing is probably 20 or 30 pages long, and I could actually break each one of these down. Uh, a recreational flyer, according to this, is a, is for the purpose of this air, 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 AC circular, is a recreational flyer is a person who flies the UA strictly for recreational purposes, which is us, right? We're not trying to make money at it. We're not right, doing anything right. there. Uh, recreational flyers must adhere to all of the statutory limitations, including uh, in 49 USC, to fly the UA without specific certification or operating authority from the FAA. So the statutory criteria include, uh, you know, basically recreational purpose for, you know, like a hobby, or they can do it under, you know, whatever the national, I think they call it the National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year, uh, basically says for higher education or research, um, you know, so that, that's the, the colleges. They can do it to uh, educational research purposes with respect of U.S. by institutions of higher learning. And that includes instruction of students at the institution, academic research, activities undertaken by the institution as part of research projects, and any other academic approved by the institution. Uh, they also say that it's uh, UAS is flown as part of established Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps, which is JROTC, for educational purposes. And then uh, educational programs that are charted by recognized CBOs, which is the community-based operations. So they're, they're basically saying that these are the, you know, it covers, I don't know why they're giving this to the educational side of it, but they're trying to say, okay, well, if you're a college student, you can go fly it. But just for you and me, if we're not part of that, we have to stick ourselves under this CBO. Yeah, we have to be under it. Now, I don't know how that's going to work for a guy like me who right now is just flying out in the middle of a cow field. Right. Now I have to go and I can only be or if I have applied to become a CBO, you know, what's that? What is that all going to entail? You know, so that, you know, I, I, I don't know. Well, and here it is under two, uh, two dot three dot one. It specifically talks to you. Using a visual observatory is necessary. So that means that you or I can't just go out and fly on our own in the park or go out and fly uh, in my front yard that I specifically have to have uh, or that this recreational flyer uh, wants to fly. They have to have a visual observer. Now, if they want to fly FPV and they put goggles on, then they definitely have to have one. But they're they're you know basically saying, you know that I need to have a, a, someone that can watch for other you know recreational uh, or actual real airplanes or whatever. Now, I can tell you out in the middle of the desert, I I don't see any real airplanes, and we have observers at our field that say, hey, look, you know, there's a real airplane coming this way. Everybody get down, you know, so everybody kind of gets gets close. 
they go over a lot of the Class B airspaces and their Class C, you know, FA low altitude notification capabilities, which I think is the most ridiculous thing. A recreational flyer should use the FAA's low altitude authorization and notification capability system to obtain authorization to fly in controlled airspace. The LAANC provides automated near real-time authorization for flight requests and uh, in most controlled airspace. Well, they're basically saying everything is controlled except uh, G, right, which is the, the ground. You have to go out in the middle of the desert. Uh, and if you don't do that, then you have to use this specific uh, LAANC, and you have to go on the FAA website, and you have to put your information in there and say, hey, here you go. I'm flying in this specific state. Now, along with that, they use the FAA Drone Zone website, and they want you to download a, you know, this thing to your phone, and then what you can do is you can look up all the sites that are approved, and then you can go fly in that site. The problem is, as soon as you open that app, my iPhone has geomapping. So now they know exactly where I'm at. And if they had to, not that Apple gives away their data, but if the U.S. government came down on them, I'm sure they would say, hey, look, you know, we need this information. Um you know, rec- recreational flying sites are posted on the FAA's UAS data delivery system. What exactly does that mean, data delivery system? Because that's that's assuming, if I read that just the way it is, it would say, oh, well, that data is coming to me, right, because it's a delivery system. But I could say it goes the other way as well. Right. There's no, no nothing in here that says it doesn't. So I don't know. You know, glass is half full, glass half empty kind of thing. Uh, the recreational flyer should refer to the FAA's interactive map on the UES data delivery system to access all notifications regarding airspace restriction and prohibition. Which, once again, you're interacting with a government website to look and see where you are supposed to fly and where you're not supposed to fly. And if you're not supposed to fly there, now you're careless and reckless. They can come after you, right? Uh, the B4U Fly app, which I've said before, hey, that's a good thing. You know, you got this app. It can kind of explain everything to you. Now it's a useful resource for the flyers to provide uh, flying their UA in both control and non-control airspace. It provides critical airspace information. Once again, I don't know if there's information flowing both directions, but it, it probably won't be too long before it does. All right. They basically said 400 feet ground level. Uh, if you're in class G airspace, the aircraft is flown from the surface and not more than 400 feet. So even though you're way out in the desert, right? You're not supposed to buy. You're not supposed to fly above 400 feet. So I can't. I can't even request uh, going to a higher altitude then. Well, so I'm thinking that this this says that this is limiting, but it does not. Remember earlier I said that if you were applying for an air show or a waiver for that, that you might be able to get yeah, that type of restriction. Yeah, but let's just say I'm flying my glider, um, you know, uh, you know they don't, they don't over 400 feet without, without mm-hmm. too much trouble. So if That's I know true. I'm going to be flying it, so should, shouldn't, shouldn't there be a means that I can call them up and go, hey, I'm going to be flying a glider. I'll be flying, you know, between uh, 800 to 1,000 feet. Well, this is interesting that you say that because a lot of things um, are th- a lot of things are put into what they call AGL, which is above ground level, and MSL, which is above above mean sea level, right? right. MSL mean sea level. So you would think let's let's just say let's say that you can't fly more than four hundred feet. Is that AGL? 
or is that MSL? Well, most people would think AGL. Well, most people would think MSL. But this is what the FAA specifically states in this, that uh, recreational uh, operators under 49 U.S.C. code may not be launched from a 10-story rooftop and fly an additional 400 feet. So if you're on a 10-story and you're already 200 feet in the air. That's the way they think, right? I'm, I, from where I'm standing, I, well, I'm not flying over 400 feet. Okay, but, but, but what they just said is that you cannot go to a building, right? That's Get on the roof and, and, and launch. And, and then go up another 400 feet. Right. So let's just say that ten, how tall is a 10-story building? Because I went to Denver, right? And I went <laughs> up to Boulder and we climbed up on top. You know, there's a mountain up there that these guys get up on the top and they slope soar. Yep. Well, that mountain's not 400 feet. It's 14, you know, not 14,000, but it's, you know, it's probably seven or 8,000 feet. So are you telling me now that I can't fly off the top of the mountain another 400 feet? Or do I have to fly below me, right, from the top of the mountain? I can only go 10 feet above the mountaintop. It's not specified. Right. Well, I shouldn't say it's not specified. It says it may not be launched from 10-story rooftop and fly up an additional 400 feet. So they're talking of 400 feet above the ground that you're standing on, basically, is the way I interpret it. But that's the bad thing. I interpret it one way. They interpret it a totally different way. Because if I'm standing on a mountaintop and I fly out past the mountaintop, I'm no longer 400 feet from the ground below me. But if I'm flying above the mountaintop, now I'm 400 feet above the mountaintop. Right. So I don't well, know. once again, most planes aren't, you know, zipping over the top of a mountain 400 feet. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's it seems comical. But, you know, on the on the second hand, I sure would hate to be prosecuted for doing something yeah. that would be relatively stay, safe because, you know, even so, another plane, like I said, an airliner would not be flying or just over 400 feet right over the top of a mountain. You know, yeah. bad things happen. Well, so then they're asking you to do the uh, test, uh, the trust test, which we talked a little bit about last time. I actually took it. It's not that difficult. Um, several people are, you know, offering it, and I think I scored 100 on it, but uh, it was fairly easy for me. It just took probably five or ten minutes. Um, but once again, that's, you know, they, you have to carry around with you this certificate that you actually took this test, Right. Which is stupid because if I take an FAA exam, I don't have to carry around the results of my exam with me if right. I go fly an airplane. The fact that I, got, I took the exam and got the license, I have to carry my license, basically. So, I don't, you know, for me, I have a UAS license. So I got to carry both because I'm a recreational flyer on one and a professional flyer on the other. It just seems kind of ridiculous. Now, here's the, here's the other stupid part, and I've always thought about this. I mean, you know, my aircrafts have a little number on them, and everybody's kind of, you know, gone that way. But I love the wording of this particular part in 2.2.8 because it says the aircraft is registered and marked with its FAA-assigned registration number. <laughs> That's basically a tail number for an RC airplane. Right. Yep. And proof of registration is made available to the administrator or law enforcement. That's scary. Law enforcement, upon request, the recreational flyer may register electronically through the FAA Drone Zone website, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, or paper system, it doesn't matter, but they have to pay the $5, right, and register your airplane just like it's a real airplane. And well, now I, 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 okay. law enforcement can stop and ask you to see it. Let me, let me interrupt you. I, I thought that the way it worked was that you could you, you could have one – you were supposed to – you had one number that you could put on all your, all your aircraft. Like, you know, I have a whole bunch there. Right. So are you saying that now I have to have an individual – Tail no, number I think general. I think under I think under that um, FAR forty nine or uh, part fourteen, part forty eight, whatever it is, it says that you can you know I, I can't imagine someone like me you know I got fifty freaking airplanes or more you know and I have to have a different number for every airplane. Uh, I think in that particular um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think you can have one and it just has to be listed on all your airplanes. Yeah, that's what I that that was my understanding. But according right, but you to you what you just, you, yeah. you just read, that's not the case. It sounds like that's, you have to have one for every single aircraft that you own, from my right. little foamy to, right. you know, your turbine jets. It weighs 55, 55 ounces or whatever, half a stick right. of butter. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is just a re, re, uh, iteration of what uh, we were talking about. The recreational flyer must label their UAs with the registration number for the aircraft in accordance with the requirements of 14 CFR Part 48. Now, i got to go back and look at Part 48 because if the Part 14, uh, our requirements of 14 CFR, which is the Code of Federal Regulations 14, it mm-hmm. talks about tail numbers for aircraft. And aircraft that were manufactured after a certain date have to have three foot high or, or you know, like 36 inches. So if these guys were basically telling me that I have to have a three-inch number on the side of my airplane, you know, instead of a one-inch number, it's pretty ridiculous. But there, right. there are specifications. And like I said, I have to go back and, and read Part 48. Uh, but the labeling must be legibly displayed on an external surface of the U- of the UA, and must be affixed in a manner that ensures it will remain affixed for the duration of each flight. Now, for me, I printed out a bunch of little labels that had all my information on it. I stuck it in the cockpit, where you could see it through the canopy. That way, it wouldn't fly off. But the way they're talking about it, they're actually requiring you to put a tail number. The way this sounds, they put a tail number on your RC airplane. Right. Right. Now, a lot of people out there are going to be like, ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But these are liberties that they're taking for a hobby. Remember that the, that they are asking the CBO. So they're they're basically telling the AMA, these are our requirements. If your guys do not follow these requirements, it's your fault, right? And now we can come after them and probably the CBO. We can re, We can take the CBO registration away from you. So right. if, if everybody in the AMA, oh, if we find someone in the AMA, line, you're going to lose your CBO. I, I get right. it. If, if we find people are flying and they're not following this, we're going to go after the flyer, but then we're also going to turn around to you and go, how come you're not enforcing this? Right. So, and if I want to remain a CBO, they're going to be like, oh no, we are enforcing it. So they're going to come out and, you know, tell everybody, Hey, you got to do this. Uh, oh, here's a good one. The uh, register a UA electronically. A recreational flyer will need an email address, credit, or debit card, and a physical address and mailing address. If the different from the registrant's physical address, they have to have a mailing address if it's different. Registration applicants must be at least 13 years of age or older. 
If the applicant is less than 13 years age, a person 13 years of age or older must register the UA. So first of all, I don't know too many 13-year-old kids that actually physically have a credit card or a debit card. <laughs> I, I don't know. They could be running around. I don't know. Maybe in today's world, I'm kind of old school. I didn't get a phone or a credit card until I was 18. So, you know, you're 13-year-olds, if you're running around with a credit card, good for you. Uh, but now I'm wondering, you know, like Joe, little Johnny, who's 13 and his brother is 8, they can't go fly unless the older brother has registered the little brother's airplane, right? Yeah. So anyway, I, I, just, I just found that funny. Okay. So, wait, wait, wait. Three wait. Is, you just reminded me of something else. So two things are popping up in my mind that just over this basic stuff that we're talking about. Um, okay. So one, if I am doing model rocketry, I don't have to do any of this stuff, right? But yet I'm still launching my particular model rocket. Well, you know, Probably greater than 400 feet. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I can easily get up to a thousand feet. So I don't, I don't think this stuff is applying to people who are flying model rocketry, right? Yeah, and you know what? I don't necessarily think it's uh, applying to those that are free flyers either. If I had a Band-Aid and I wound it up and I tossed it in the air. Right, or a football. But, but my, other, my other thing that makes me think here that, that this is kind of funny, um, you know, AK Mike isn't here, but he does the parasailing or he's the motor, uh, the paramotors, right? right? Yeah, paramotors. He doesn't have to have a tail number on his stuff, right, in his chute. There's not a tail number on his chute. He he flies, uh, you know, I'm not thinking he, well, yeah, they can fly pretty high in those things. So do they have, do they have to file a flight plan? Do, you know, I, I know very little about them in the sense. So I, you know, I, I don't think he has to carry, a, I know he talks on the radio, but he's normally talking to his uh, instructor on the ground. He's not talking to, to the tower going, Hey, I'm launching out of this parking lot. I'm going to fly over to, you know, this place over here to this other cow field over here, and then I'm flying back, right? Right. So why why is it that we're having to do this, but that individual doesn't have to do it? Uh, I understand. That, that, I that, totally that to me, just seems like there's, there's an inherent unfairness here. You know, because like, just like I was saying about the glider stuff, all of a sudden now I can't fly over 400 feet. But I see a paramotor guy, he's, he's up and over 800 feet past me, waving, you know, but I have all these requirements. But that guy or the, our guy comes out to the field, puts up, you know, sets up a model rocket, 2,000 feet later, he comes down, gets his, gets his model rocketry stuff and just goes home. Right. Uh, it, yeah, I, this, this isn't making a lot of sense to me anyway for just the way they're, they're doing this. Right. Anyway. So so let's go to Chapter 3 because the Chapter 3 is the scariest of all. And that oh, is the um, – Chapter 3 covers basically uh, the organization of CBOs. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and this – I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but there are a couple of parts in here. Uh, that I need to talk about. And the, the first one is, is that they specifically state that a CBO has these requirements, right? They have to basically, uh, it's a membership-based association entity that meets all of the following criteria. So they, they have to, to have all of the, the following, uh, basically, you know, all these rules 
in order to meet the CBO. On top of that, so, so they have to do all that stuff first, right? Then they have to apply for CBO rec- recognition to be put in the, the FA Drone Zone website, you know, as, as a, as a you official know, CBO, right? Then the FAA will recognize them as a CBO, and they said specifically, if you do not follow any of these regulations, then basically you will be removed uh, with a letter of CBO denial. Now, this is where it kind of gets crazy because the requirements for this start getting a little muddy. Now, here's what I, I mean by that. An organization seeking recognition as a CBO is required to provide a set of safety guidelines for all aspects of model aviation addressing the assembly operation of model aircraft, emphasizing safe aero modeling operations within the national airspace and the protection and safety of individuals and property on the ground. Thus, these organizations must prepare and keep current safety guidelines setting forth an organizational's uh, procedures and policies for the safe recreational operation of UAS. The guidelines should be readily available to all CBO members and FAA personnel upon request. So, so basically, what the FAA just basically, or what the FAA is, is allowing us to do is that we can create our own rules and regulations as long as they follow here, as long as they follow what the FAA has set up, right? But let's talk a little bit about what the FAA has set up. A baseline for developing safety guidelines and CBO's guide should cover all the basic requirements addressed in 49 USC, blah, blah, blah. Those requirements are also listed in paragraph two and can be satisfied by meeting the guidelines detailed in the next paragraph. A comprehensive of safety guidelines may include topics that span the limitations. Uh, they, uh, the FAA encourages but does not require CBOs to develop comprehensive set of safety guidelines to enhance the safety of security operations of the national airspace. They re, they request they encourage it, but they don't require it. Now the problem with a, with an AC circular is what I said when we first started this. Right, once this gets approved, I can cancel it with a new one. Right now, I don't have to get permission from anybody because this is a safety related right. So now what I can do is I can come back I can come back later after everybody's agreed to this one. Now I'm going to update it. And I'm going to say, okay, this, this AC circular is canceled. The new one is going to require this. So they can just continue to add on. If they don't like the way one thing works, they can just add on to the next one, right? So if your safety measures and procedures, which I'm telling you, the AMA, we have a whole list of safety stuff. And we follow it. You know, they do a really good job. But they're they're telling us basically that these are some of the recommended safety procedures so they give they give the comprehensive safety uh, guidelines should include at least the following topics so in a one sentence they say you can set your own right but in the second one that are recommended safety procedures it must include these items now that's lawyer speak for we're recommending this, but it's the law. If you don't follow this, you didn't follow our right. recommendations. You right. can't stand up right. and go, well, it was recommended. No, 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 no. The second paragraph, the second sentence in there says it must include the following. 
that's that's a that's a an outline, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna recognize or you know recommend you do this, but it, it must include these, right? Now some of these things are are crazy. Um, this one says the CBO should consider addressing how they will mitigate hazards. Now there's a big right there. You know, we could go 15 different ways on how to mitigate. Oh, you know how to mitigate? Don't let anybody fly. <laughs> okay. Mitigate hazards to avoid creating a risk to people who are not flying the aircraft, which means all the people around are in the neighborhoods. Safe practices should include restrictions on flying over people, establishing, establishing buffer areas between an aircraft's planned flight path and the people in the area, and using restricted access areas for activities such as racing. Uh, prohibition. Now, this is you. Prohibition on modifying UASs and the carriage of hazardous materials or weapons. So they should restrict their members from customizing or modifying the aircraft in such a way that creates a danger or pub- uh, to the public or the NES. So what does that really mean, right? It means that this airplane was designed to fly 50 miles an hour, and I put a bigger motor on it to fly 100 miles an hour. That is now, according to the FAA, considered, in my eyes, it's reckless, Mike. Careless and reckless. It is. That's so, so, so once again, who who's responsible for that? Because a lot of these kits come with whatever the recommended motor is, right? It just recommends one. You don't have to go with that recommendation. You can go with whatever you want for that motor. But now the FAA says the same thing, right? We want to recommend all this stuff, but in reality, this is what you're going to be held to. A CBO should also remind operators that federal law prohibits equipping or arming any U.S. Uh, UAS with dangerous weapons. Well, what's a dangerous weapon? What I know guys that fly it with uh, smoke on it. Is that a dangerous weapon? Or they have flares on it. I mean, we watched a you know fifty thousand dollar or seventy thousand dollar A ten that had both flares and you know it kicks those oh, things yeah. off. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. But you know, now they can consider that. Uh, basically um, dangerous weapons because it could set a fire. Uh, prohibition or encouraging careless or reckless uh, behavior. So so now if if we fly a low pass, right, let's just say we have low pass. Okay, well, that's careless and reckless. You can't do that anymore. How, how many of the who, – who defines careless and reckless? That's very nope. subjective, nope. right? I think that's very subjective. Well, that's because just what like, I – I was going to say, if you're flying 3D aircraft, right, and you're and you're doing rolling circles at 20 feet high, is mm-hmm. that is that careless and reckless? That has to be at 100 feet. You know, once again, you have you have a instructor or you have somebody out there, and they go, "Oh my gosh, that's a 20 feet." That's you know, I, I'm going to go complain and and talk to the CBO, and I'm you know, I I can just imagine what kind of Karens or whatever are out there, and they see sure, something. Sure, sure. And and they're going to be like that was so low, uh, it could have hit my dog, it could have hit my baby. I, you know, it was only twenty feet. Well, the guy was in total control, was out in the middle of the field, it was away from everybody. There was no danger. Oh no! But I could see the plane. You know, right? right, right. I, there's no definition. I mean, who's to the who's the decider? Who's the the cop? The police? The policeman on all of this? Yeah, I I, I see this. It's not gonna it's not gonna fare well. Just. Right. Well, so I know we're kind of running short on time. We only have a few minutes left. But uh, so here's another one where they said that uh, the pre-flight assessment and inspection checklist. Uh, 
<laughs> they're they're basically saying that they uh, the CBO should provide a detailed example of a pre-flight checklist that they can adapt for their particular needs. So they're asking the AMA to come up with a pre-flight safety checklist for. Well, they they kind of already, they've already done that, but I mean, once again, right. we just we just talked about last week with Jim and I, you know, getting out there, and because I didn't do my safety check, you know, right. and right. caught. So now caught you're careless and wrecked. Right. And uh, I'm going to be fine for that because I crashed. I crashed his plane. We didn't do any damage. But once again, if somebody saw that, hey, mm-hmm. what was the cause of that accident? Eh, it turned out our servo was, you know, had a servo reversed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was careless and reckless. We're going to have to we're going to have to sign you up for that. We're going to have to ding you for that. OK. That's ridiculous. So in the in the few minutes we have left, I want to talk about two more things. Number one, they mentioned that uh, procedures for night flying. So they've addressed the night flying issue. Uh, they, um, basically, basically are requiring, they're basically requiring, uh, the CBO members to equip their UA with lights that can be seen from three statute miles away, three statute miles away in order to get off the ground. Yes, exactly. In order to fly at night, you should have lights that you can see from three statute miles away. And to arrange the UA lights in such a way that allows recreational flyers to determine the orientation of the aircraft. Uh, in addition, the UA lighting guidelines for flying at night in a, uh, unlit or low light areas, safety guidelines should um, also permit members to conduct recreational flying at night without requiring UA lighting in areas that are sufficiently illuminated. So basically, if you're in the football you know, field, stadium that has yeah. all the lights, you can fly at night because you have plenty of lights. Uh, the aircraft, uh, you should be able to maintain visual line of sight of the aircraft throughout the entire flight and identify any potential ground or airborne hazards. So we've, you know, created this little game, this, you know, stealth game that is now illegal. We would no longer be able to do that. And I don't think you can see my wall, my night wall is from three statues. Miles. <laughs> well, Jeez, yeah, right. Man. You would have to, you know, what would you have to have on a, since the, I mean, the plane's not a small, but I mean. And it's lit up pretty well that yeah. from the heights that we're flying it, it's, it, it's brilliant, you know. Uh, well, but yeah, imagine, you know, like said, the one I'm thing that I will say, yeah, the one thing that I will say about the FAA is that they will never have to worry about me flying that walrus above 400 feet at night because yeah. there's no way I could actually see those lights. Up to 400 feet, they disappear. They become just a little dot. So I like to keep it lower, right, so I can see right. it. And oh, yeah. they don't ever have to worry about it. So now, um, all right. Really quickly, this is the one that caught me the most, right? And and I'm sure if you're listening to us, you can you need to comment on this. Go on our Facebook page, go on the YouTube channel, uh, comment because this one really caught my eye. It is three four three six one recommended safety standards, right? When you say recommended safety standards, that means that becomes the it's new the standard. standard. Uh, right now, once again, these are recommendations, but they must include these. And this is one, the recommended safety standards. Listen to what this says. Comprehensive safety guidelines should include a certain minimum standard for CBO members to be fit for flight prior to conducting any limited recreational operations. What does that mean? For example, for example. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
The CBO should prohibit any person from flying a UA serving as a visual observer or participating in the operation of UAS if the person knows or has reason to know that they have a physical, mental condition that would interfere with the safe operation of UAS. Alcohol prescription drug use. Comprehensive safety guidelines should prohibit the recreational flyer from using alcohol or prescription drugs in a manner that would interfere with the recreational flyer's ability to operate the airplane. Also, they need to use the I am safe, which is what the, re- the FAA recommends the inclusion of I am safe checklists for all recreational flyers. Illness, medication, stress, alcohol. Has recreational flyer been drinking within the last eight hours, depending on the amount of alcohol consumed? It could take up to 24 hours. So no drinking before you're flying. Uh, are you, do you have any uh, psychological or emotional factors that might affect your performance? Fatigue. Has the recreational flyer received sufficient sleep and adequate rest in the past? And emotion. Is the recreational flyer emotionally upset? Now, if you meet all of those, right, that's the scary part. Because you know what, those, you know what that leads up to? I have no idea. A medical you have to have a medical apply in UAC. Yep, I'm ki- I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding. Think about think about what you're saying, right? If you're if you're asking me to do this is this is I will tell you this is right out of the pilot training handbook for real airplanes. Because they they it's 8 hours from bottle to throttle, right? It's, you know, so how how many times do you have guys that are out? I mean, I, I've seen it. You know, Sunday afternoon, everybody's out there. Psh, pop open a beer, go fly an airplane. Totally illegal. You are now the CBO. If they allow that, or if they sanction it, or they sell alcohol at one of these deals, totally take your CBO status away. Right. So so now all of that. Not that I not that I'm drinking and flying because I don't. But at the same time. They're asking you to be physically fit. And the, and the CBO is now responsible to look at you as an, a recreational flyer and saying, are you fit to go fly? Of course I am. Well, but you had a big fight with your wife last night. Well, of course. That's why I came in here and fly because this is why I relaxed. Relaxed, right? Now, later on in this, we don't have time to go through everything, but later on there they talk about the medical side of it. And I was trying to get to it really quick, but um, I'm having to, you know, kind of skip a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, they talk about all kinds of stuff, you know, that the flying site should be unique. And they talk about sanctioned events, you know, air show stuff or whatever. But that that part where it was talking about a medical or that you were have to be medically fit to go fly is a precursor, Right. Because, once again, I said that this is the rules that they're going to go ahead and say, well, you know what? This is common sense. It's it's basically safe, right? I am safe. Everybody wants to be safe. If you don't agree with this, you're not safe. Safety is a part of this business, right? You have to be safe or you're going to lose fingers, toes, eyeballs, or possibly your life. That's the way the aviation world is, both realistically and, you know, in the in the hobby. But the fact that they say, oh, are you safe, now they can start changing that. So the next one that comes out, the update to this one, which could be three months from now, it could be 30 years from now. Who knows? 
just depends on how quickly they want to get rid of this hobby. And they come to you and say, okay, basically now we're going to require a medical, right? You're already starting to require a license and a test and all this other stuff. Now they've actually put this in here as the CBO is responsible for it. And if the CBO doesn't do it, they lose their CBO status, which means the AMA, right, as big as they are, could technically, they could come to them and say, everybody in your organization has to have a medical now. And they have to go, okay, if we're going to remain a CBO, everybody has to get a medical. So in order to be an AMA member and fly at an AMA site, I now have to have a, a medical from a doctor that says I'm, I'm fit to go fly. Now, you may have a different opinion of that, and if you do, you know, please jump on our website, you know, jump on the Facebook page and let me know. I am, I am all ears about how you perceive this. But let me tell you what, this is, they are overstepping because by doing this, they are not going to, they're not, they're changing rules without getting permission to change rules by putting it in a safety circular. Exactly. Right? You're circumventing, that's why I was saying circumventing Congress. Okay. Right. It's just the way they found a loophole. Hey, we have this circular. We could put it out. We could put, we could change the rules and, and well, it was never meant for rules per se, but they're taking this device and they're, they schmoozed it and they're using it for something else in order to get their way without having to go through, you know, the, the right. length, the lengthy period that they normally have to go through and going through Congress. That's, that's what they're doing. Well, we, on the last one, we only had about 50,000 people to actually give their opinion. We should have 4 million people giving their opinion on this one because I, I totally get it. I'm not trying to be unsafe. I'm not trying to be unsupportive. But when you start asking people to do exactly the same thing that the aircraft pilots that have a pilot's license do and you're a hobby it's not too much longer before that's totally just nobody wants to do it because I will tell you that my FAA medical is $200 right? and I have to get it every six months. So that's $400 a year I'm spending on my career to get an FAA physical so I can go fly. Right. Right. That's part of what I live with. Um, you know, I have to take a check ride every six months. I have to do right. all this stuff, jump through all these hoops. Um, you know, if you're a regular flyer, just on a private, that's my professional side. If, if you're on a private, same thing. You have to go get a medical. You have to do a, what they call a biennial flight review with a flight instructor. And that's a whole different deal on that side. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. It's, they're basically reaching out on both the aircraft side and the hobby side and just grabbing everything that they can to be totally controlling. And, I, you know, I really hope this doesn't get me in a whole lot of trouble because I'm not looking for that. But I'm looking for people to actually reach out to their congressman, reach out to this, you know, jump online, put your opinion in there that this is this is not the way to do this. Right. We are. We've been self-governing for how many years? I mean, Almost me, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, and all of a sudden now we cannot no longer self-govern ourselves. And now we run the risk of them saying, hey, if we want this, you have to do it. And if you don't do it, we shut down your entire organization. And think about that. How many clubs out there, all I can think about is Doug, because Doug is president of his club, and he has fought tooth and nail to get where he is today. You know, gold member status, the whole deal, gold club status. 
all of that stuff with the AMA, and all it would take is for one little mishap. change. Not mishap, but just oh. a change in the rule, right? Oh, oh, I and see. Now his whole club, right? Because the FAA could come out and say, oh, we want everybody to do this now. You can't fly within five miles of trees. Well, that, that pretty much shuts <laughs> him down, right? Because his whole field is around that trees. Right. And, and it sounds ridiculous, and, and probably is, right? Somebody could look at me and go, that will never happen. Uh, yeah. Well, I thought we'd be yeah. where we're at, right? I, I, I yep. would never thought that. I never know. thought I would have to be physically fit and prove that I was physically fit to go fly an RC airplane. Yeah. And, and you know what? How many guys do we have that are out flying that are, uh, you know, kind of up in the years that have to sit in a chair or that are in a wheelchair or that, you know, have to be, have helped or buddy box, all that kind of stuff? You know, I'm thinking of Jim. Not that he's incapable of going and flying by himself, because he can. But, you know, there are limitations. All it would take is for someone to look at him and go, hmm, I don't like the way he's flying around in a figure Oh, right, eight. yeah, because he's, he's, he's wearing a boot on his leg. Since his Correct. Eye. He can't hey, walk he's very not, far. So he, He's not physically fit. Oh, my gosh, he can't fly. Right, right. That's and crazy. it's not you and me that's saying that, because a guy can fly perfectly from sitting in a chair or standing up. I don't care either way. I'm standing there watching as long as he's not, you know, careless and reckless in my eyes, which he's not. But right. for an FAA inspector or a law enforcement officer, which they have given them carte blanche on this and basically stated in this rule that the, that a law enforcement officer could watch someone like Jim fly and go, man, that guy's careless and reckless. Bam. Call yeah. the FAA and say, I want this guy, you know, prosecuted. And now we have no idea. What, what, is that, what does that mean even, right? They throw him in jail right. or they, take, right. they can't take a license from him. They could take a test or if, I guess if you had a UAS. He could issue, he could issue him a summons. Who knew, you know, once again, I, I, I had said before in our, our last thing when we were talking about this, you know, he could turn around and he could get fined. And a city could find, oh, that's, that's a revenue that uh, we, we got this yeah. car blanche from uh, the FAA that we can go around and find people that we think are flying reckless. And we should write and we should write up a thing that hey if you're found, if you're found flying records in our county hey that's twenty bucks, you know or whatever you know. Right. But anyway, hey, listen, man, we're we're pretty much out of time. So um, yeah, we are out of time. I apologize. I'm going to give one more shout out to Bruce. Uh, he's X Jet over on YouTube. He's got a really great uh, you know review on this. He's not very happy about it either. Uh, we think kind of down the same lines. Uh, he called it something. I'm not going to you know words out of his mouth but go watch his video and you'll kind of understand how, how he sees it i've read it some of the things that from my professional standpoint you know kind of bother me uh and and we need you to comment everybody needs to comment. needs to comment on this one yeah definitely buddy i mean everybody uh needs to jump on there and there is a link for that yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw other links and everything that we need for that on, on the, our video side and on our, uh, our website. Website. Okay, perfect. Um, tell us what you think. Uh, you know, reach out to us via the uh, Parkfire Podcast at gmail.com or go on our Facebook uh, listeners group. If you're not joined, uh, join up now and go to our YouTube channel. Uh, like I said, we're trying to figure the best way to do this YouTube because we're all three in different locations. And uh, it's a little bit more difficult, but we think we may have found a, a solution, so we're still dealing with that. Uh, this is in the draft status, so before it gets uh, permanent, we uh, we need you to reach out and give your opinion. So, for Michael here in Arizona. And Jay here in the hills of Texas. We'll see you in two weeks.
You have been listening to the Park Flyer Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your next visit. Please give our show a star rating and review, and feel free to email us your questions, topics, or suggestions to parkflyerpodcast at gmail.com.